Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, this morning we're going to uh, conclude this series that I've been working on about Jesus never asking an innocent question. And this morning we have Peter, who has initiated a, a fishing expedition out on the Sea of Galilee. And one wonders, I mean, Jesus has presented himself now twice to the disciples down in Jerusalem. And so what does Peter do? He says, guys, well, let's, let's get out of Dodge. Let's go fish. And one also then must wonder what it was that was afflicting his heart. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from this epilogue of John's gospel, the 21st chapter. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they said. So they went out in a boat and caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get some there. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had been stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the, load to the, net, the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net, the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast... Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, you, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. 
this event on the Sea of Galilee is a late addition to the Gospel of John. And yet those scholars that want to try to pick the scriptures apart and say, well, this is a, a later edition that doesn't really belong, have failed miserably because the style of writing and everything about it fits with the original author, with the, with the authorship of John. And so this story, biblically speaking, textually speaking, is an authentic account that goes right alongside those visits in the upper room that Jesus had. And you know that story. On Easter night, Jesus went into the upper room and Thomas wasn't with them. But he appeared to the disciples, locked doors, and all of a sudden, there he is. And suddenly also gone. And Thomas, who was an intellectual doubter, said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the nails in his hands and the spear hole in his side. I'm not going to believe unless I see all of that. And then Jesus came back following week and, and showed Thomas. He said, Thomas, look. See my hands. Thomas, lift up his robe. Look at my side. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. And Thomas buckled. My Lord, my God. Well, then there's one in those gatherings who's rather quiet. One who's ordinarily a little on the rambunctious side. One who's ordinarily coming in with a, a joke that he heard from the street or a story that he picked up along the way. One who always was sort of forthcoming, and that was Peter. It's quiet, reserved, a little withdrawn. Peter's having a rough time. He's having a hard time with this. Because Jesus told him, after Peter said, in the garden... If anyone else leave you, if they deny you, not me. I'll stand with you no matter what. And Peter proved himself to be weak. Peter demonstrated through his multiple denials that he wasn't all that he thought he was cracked up to be. And when Jesus presented himself, Peter well, we have to wonder what he thought. Maybe he collapsed into himself. Maybe he, he wondered what kind of man he was. And what did Jesus really think of him? Because Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus told him that with that third denial, the, 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 uh, the rooster would crow. And Peter was found to be a denier of Jesus and a deserter of Jesus. Even caving in in the outer garden where Jesus was being interrogated inside, caving in to a, a young girl who said, I saw you, you were one of them. And he said, no, not me. I don't know the man. 
His own words had to be ringing in his ears when Jesus appeared. So in his dark place of distance that he had imposed upon himself in relationship to Jesus, I think he struggled a lot. And how does he get back? How does that gap between himself and Jesus, a relational gap, how does that, knowing that he has violated his trust, how does he rebuild? How does he find himself reestablished? So he said, let's go fishing. Let's just go do something that I'm good at. You all come with me. Something that at least I know I can do. We've all been there, haven't we? Where we, we struggle with some kind of a discouragement, some kind of a sense of loss, and we don't know what to do, where to go, and at least we can default back to something we know we're good at, something we know we can do. So we go do that. At least it anesthetizes the pain for a period of time. So Peter's out on the water. But the disciples, oddly enough, said, we'll go with you. We'll go. They may have picked it up. They may have sensed that he was having a rough time. You know, faith is a, it's a crazy thing. Faith is one of those things that, well, intellectually, Thomas had trouble until he had that gap closed by Jesus himself coming and presenting his risen body to him. So many have intellectual problems with faith and don't know quite what to do with that. They'd like to believe because who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to think that they're loved by God and that they'll live forever because of the love of God? Who wouldn't, wouldn't want to believe that? Who wants to think that this is just a great mistake of the universe, that we have this longing within us to live beyond this time and to be with others? Who wouldn't want to believe that? But some just can't. Somehow they just can't close that intellectual loop. But also there's discouragement. Discouragement that causes a sort of a caving into oneself and one's own experience. I don't know how many people I've talked to in the course of my ministry who just think that what they have done in their life is so wrong, so bad. And how could God love them? So that discouragement, that self-absorption keeps that distance between oneself and God. And it becomes so very, so very difficult to bridge that gap. Now, Soren Kierkegaard, pardon me, Soren Kierkegaard argues that but the tough thing about faith is that one must surrender oneself to the absurd. 
that Christ is risen, that a body, a human body was transformed and is yet alive to this day, that one must submit oneself to that. Called it a leap of faith. That's where we get that phrase from Soren Kierkegaard. And C.S. Lewis struggled with faith as well. He was, as a young man, he was an atheist. And he, he articulated his, he articulated his transition in this way. Without words and almost without images, a fact about myself was somehow presented to me. Sometimes the Lord reaches us simply by holding up a mirror. A fact about myself was somehow presented to me. I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out, or if you like, I was wearing some stiff clothing like like corsets or even a suit of armor, as if I were a lobster. I felt myself being there and then Given a free choice, I could unbuckle the armor or keep it on. Neither choice was presented as a duty. No threat or promise was attached to either. The choice appeared to be momentous, but it was also strangely unemotional. I was moved by no desires or fears. In a sense, I was not moved by anything. I chose to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rain. I felt as if I were a man of snow at long last beginning to melt. So it is with faith. It is not something we accomplish. We can't close the gap between ourselves and God. Somehow that gap is being bridged by God himself through Christ. And so we have this rather odd interchange between Jesus and Peter. So the guys come to shore. They bring all that fish. It's a great miracle catch. And they have breakfast together. And then Peter is asked by Jesus. Simon Peter. Son of John. Do you love me? Peter was somewhat taken aback by the question. Well, of course, you know I love you, Jesus. He says, do you love me more than these, more than all this stuff of life, all this stuff that clutters our lives, all this stuff inside and outside that separate us from our Lord? Do you love me more than these, Jesus says. Peter says, of course, you know I love you. So he asks it again. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? At this, Peter was bothered, rather upset. He said, you know I love you. You know I love you. Jesus knows that Simon loves him. Simon doesn't know that he loves him. Simon needed to say that. 
Peter needed to affirm his love for Christ. And Peter needed to know that, yes, he denied him three times, but he will say, I love you thousands of times from that time forward. Peter knew that he had denied. And he was so torn. And so Jesus restored him. Jesus gave him that opportunity, not because Jesus needed to hear it, but because Peter needed to hear it. I wonder if his discouragement. In the Proverbs, Proverbs speaks of three types of people, the wise, the foolish, and the evil. The evil were those who were trying Jesus up in that house as Jesus, as Peter was out in the garden denying Jesus. I wonder if Peter was really struggling. Am I evil? Peter probably thought up to that point, I'm just foolish. I do dumb stuff. He may have really been struggling with who he was as Jesus held up the mirror before him. And Jesus, in allowing him that moment of self-awareness, of self and faith affirmation, Jesus gave him the full opportunity to be utterly, completely restored and, and for Peter to get out of that evil category and back into foolish. <laughs> because that's what we are. God willing, we, we vary between wise and foolish and stay away from that evil category. Foolish we can understand, foolish we can absorb. Evil, it's beyond us as a human community. And thank God there are those who are wise because they have been nurturing their faith since the time they were little ones. And so Peter is restored. And then Jesus goes on to tell him, Peter, you're going to die like I did. You're going to suffer as I did. And your love for me will be demonstrated by an act of human courage and human resolve and you will also bear the cross. And as you may well be aware, Peter was crucified in Rome. And as he went to his crucifixion, legend tells us that he chose to be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy of being crucified in the same upright position of his Lord. And he thereby lived not just a life of wisdom, but a life of courage. A life that demonstrated that the transforming power of faith does more than just make one wise, it makes one strong. And enables them to be courageous in the face of any human onslaught. And is that power that enables and empowers life and perhaps 
the most substantial way. I have seen, and so many of you, the latest of which was our dear brother George Johnston, finishing well, finishing strong, showing courage, somehow knowing that this life is not all there is. And praise God. Will you join me in prayer? Oh Lord, on the high side of wisdom is courage. And we ask that you might so nurture us that you will deal with those intellectual struggles that we have. That you will deal with those moments of self-accusation that you'll move us into that place that even takes us beyond our ordinary garden variety human foolishness that we might be wise and that we might be courageous living for you we thank you O lord for the redemptive love of your son our savior jesus christ in whose name we pray amen If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.